0: Hi guys, this is Psych Teacher John. So it's interesting that we're doing social psych, but we haven't even gotten to like group terms, right? Or group effects. So uh, let's talk briefly about some major ones. First, there's a famous one. It's called uh, group polarization. Basically, the thinking is this. If you have an opinion, say slightly positive, slightly negative, whatever it might be, if you're in a group discussing that topic, right? Then the tendency is you lean more in the direction you're already going. Meaning, if you slightly like it, after you talk about it for a bit in a group, you'll like it more or you'll have a more positive opinion. And if you dislike it, then you'll have a more negative opinion, okay? So you can kind of see where this could go wrong. So imagine you, you're in a jury, and you have a slight inkling that maybe this person's guilty, but you're not quite sure. But the more this group talks about it, right, the more the jurors talk about it, according to this tendency, the more likely they are to sort of feel like, oh, definitely, definitely he's guilty, or she's guilty, okay? So in group polarization, it just seems that if the group members have an opinion, whatever that might be, After discussing it for some time, it polarizes, so it goes more in that direction. Another effect is called social loafing. So here the tendency is, in a group, you underperform. Okay, so maybe for example, you're playing tug of war, and maybe you can really yank on that rope. It turns out when you're playing tug of war, you don't try as hard. Maybe you're like, oh, you know what? Everyone else is doing it. You know, they're gonna pick up my slack. I don't have to try that hard. There are a lot of strong people on the team. You know, so you underperform. Uh, you definitely see this in group projects where people loaf right if they had to do it themselves they'd have to do everything but because they're in the group they're actually doing less than what they would normally do again the term is almost self-annotating but it's social loafing so in groups you tend to loaf you don't try your hardest you tend to underperform a similar related effect is something called social facilitation so that can actually go both ways so sometimes when you're in a group you perform quote better than usual but sometimes you perform worse than usual Okay. Now, I'm going to link this because I think it's a good segue to another topic. But um, first, if you're talking strictly, what is social facilitation? It means in a group, it facilitates or helps a certain response, whether that's you're performing better than usual or worse than usual. Okay. So we're not going to go that deeply into it, but um, let me give you some examples that kind of go along with what a lot of people think. So, for example, if you're in a group and let's say you're doing a skill that you have down like the back of your hand, you're completely comfortable, you're, you know, I always tell my MCAT students be like that with our core content, right? Have it like the back of your hand, but you're completely comfortable, you you know it, it's easy for you, you can almost do it in your sleep, okay? So now the thinking is maybe if you're in a group, you'll actually do better, okay? So one possible explanation for that could be something like this. So you're in a group, all eyes are on you, you feel more anxious, maybe you're more aroused, you're more awake, paying attention to stuff, and so that little extra push, right, maybe of adrenaline, Uh, actually helps you out. It makes you sharper. You're paying more attention. You're doing your thing. Okay. So that extra level of arousal is helpful there because that skill is so easy for you. You could do blindfolded. Okay. But it's easy to see when this can go the wrong way. So imagine there's some sort of complex task that you're not that comfortable with. So you're sitting there and you're, you know, like you're not used to giving presentations and you're doing this big presentation that has all these different components. And Normally, you'd be like, okay, let me, how do I do this? What's the next step? What am I doing? You'd be able to keep things straight, okay? But now you're presenting to the rest of your group members, and they're all looking at you. You're worried about them judging you, whatever, but you feel anxious. So now that extra level of arousal is working against you, right? You're too nervous to think clearly. So you're too nervous to perform. So you're underperforming. So the idea that I'm I'm kind of sneaking in here is this idea that basically there's an optimal level of arousal for a given task. So you don't have to associate this with social facilitation, but um, you know some people use this idea to explain social facilitation. And the thinking is kind of this, right? For a given task, there's sort of this optimal level of arousal. So for example, if you're sitting there and you're uh, taking an exam, right? You, you don't want to be falling asleep. So if the level of arousal is too low, that's not so good. But you don't want to be so hyped up that it's hard for you to pay attention to the question, right? So there, the level of arousal could be too high. Uh, that's often why you know, sometimes you see expert marksmen, they're very, very good at their job. But then, you know, you see them in these game shows or whatever where they're running around doing other tasks and they're not performing as well as they normally would. So, what's going on? There's sort of this optimum level of arousal. You need to pay attention, you need to be focused. But at the same time, if your sympathetic nervous system is too revved up, like that fight or flight thing, your adrenaline, you have too much adrenaline, then for some of these uh, motor skills or fine motor skills, right? Uh, it's You're too hyped up, you're super nervous, literally your hands shake, so it's harder for you to perform the way you normally would, okay? So again, let me make this clear because it might be slightly confusing. You have social facilitation to where in a group, right, you might overperform or underperform. And there's an association with how easy that task is for you, how competent and comfortable you feel with it, okay? And on a connected note, there's what's called optimal arousal theory. So for optimal arousal theory, for given tasks, there's literally an optimum level of arousal. You don't want to be under aroused. So you fall asleep, but you don't want to be so over aroused or hyped up that you can't perform well. As a side note, I'd like to kind of sneak this in here just because, uh, it's somewhat related and that is stereotype threat. If people stick a stereotype on you and you're aware of that stereotype, even though it doesn't fit you at all, sometimes you fall prey to it. Okay? So sometimes you fall prey to that stereotype. This is called the stereotype threat. Now, What's interesting here is, you know, I don't want to be political at all. These are not my opinions. These are classic things talked about in social psych, but especially for my students, one easy way to think of this is think Asian female, because their stereotypes are tested in famous studies involving Asian females. And um, the setup here was basically, there was a stereotype in place saying that if you're Asian, you're good at math, you know, which is kind of ridiculous, but whatever. Okay. Another one was uh, if you're a woman, then you're not good at math and equally probably even more ridiculous. Okay. So you have these stereotypes in place. And what they did was they took a bunch of women and they basically said, okay, uh, guys, remember, you're women. This is going to be tough for you, et cetera, et cetera. And as silly as that sounds, that group underperformed. Okay. And when you took, um, you know, another group and you told them, hey, remember, ladies, you guys are, uh, you're Asian. Asians are good at math. They overperformed. Okay. But basically, whatever stereotype there is, Right, if they tell you the stereotype, you might fall prey to it. That's the stereotype threat. Uh, the nice and interesting thing is, in these studies, the way to get rid of the stereotype effect, to dispel it, is literally just to tell them, "Oh, this is BS." So, in another round of the experiment, they told people, "Well, you know what? You're women, but women are awesome at math," and they did totally fine. Oh, you're Asian, but Asians don't have to be good at math, and again, they performed totally normally. Okay. So, you know, this has a lot of implications. It's amazing how powerful this is. If people stick a stereotype on you, you could fall prey to it. But if someone comes up and clarifies, all oh, those stereotypes are BS, you can dispel it. Now, again, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. So just a quick recap. So we know everything's clear because we hit a bunch of terms here. We have, we have group effects with group polarization, right? Uh, slightly positive becomes more positive. Slightly negative becomes more negative. Uh, We have things with um, social loafing. You're loafing, you're goofing around, you're not trying as hard because you're in a group. You have social facilitation. Sometimes you're better at tasks or worse at tasks than normal when you're in the group, right? Typically having to do with how comfortable and how good you are at that particular task. We talked a little bit about optimal arousal theory. There's an optimal level, and if you're at it, you do well, and if you're outside it, mm, then maybe not as well as normal, okay? Uh, We have those, and then the one with stereotypes. They slap a stereotype on you, you might fall prey to it. A stereotype threat, but we can dispel it by telling you, eh, that's BS, okay? Hopefully this helped, and uh, I'll see you guys soon.